He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to Munson's at the Movies. My name is Kyle, and I will once again be your host. Joined here by the rest of the Munson's, want to give them a wide berth. It's what is called a born loser. A real Munson. <laughs> and talk a little bit about what's going on in the world. James, you're up first. Pumped to be here, man. After spending a few weeks off, we get to do back-to-back child stars that turned into adult actors. So I'm interested to see where this goes. For sure. Case. Wait. Tom Green was a child star? (laughs) (laughs) Don't be making jokes about Canadian legends like Tom Green, all right? You're insulting our guests. I do have to tell you guys something. For the first time, I'm actually disappointed that we don't have a video component to this because I've been cycling my virtual backgrounds on my Zoom meetings between the Savlakian flag (laughs) and the scenic view of Bratislava, which we all know is the capital of Slovakia. You know, just a little... Winking a nod to all our fans out there in Slovakia. It's a beautiful country. Top 50. Can't wait to visit one day. Warren. Just, you know, kind of getting back to normal. We went to a baseball game, went to the zoo, did a bunch of fun stuff this past weekend. So getting getting back to it, enjoying life a little bit more. Dad life was busy for you. That's for sure. In my world, you know, there's chaos on my end. I'm trying to figure out life, where I'm going to, if I'm going to stay in Maryland, not stay in Maryland. So that's... That's all the fun in my world, but luckily we've had enough time to kind of stick around and focus on Munson's, and happy to bring on another guest, new guest, Tony Hostflix X-Ray, a weekly podcast featuring a roster of people who join Tony to discuss and review all types of films. So it doesn't sound terribly different than kind of what we're doing today. It's like a book club for movies. When not watching movies, he spends a a lot of time playing D&D and has a monthly Pokemon D&D stream on Twitch and runs a 24-hour-long zombie survival D&D session every November to raise money for children's hospitals. That's badass. Wow. That's sweet. That's cool, yeah. man. Fellow nerd, and I love it, right? It's the uh, the Pokemon Go nerd uh, resident one of this group. <laughs> Tony also works as a programmer for the Okotoks Film Festival and volunteers with a number of Calgary-area film and festivals and podcasting events. You can find Flix X-Raid, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Welcome, Tony. Hey, Tony. Thanks for having me. Welcome. Hello. I got to know a little bit about this 24-hour-long zombie survival D&D session. That sounds fascinating. We do, a every November, a Extra Life event where we raise money for the local hospitals, Children's Hospital in particular. Uh, last year, we were 15th in our province for donations. Uh, where we play essentially 24 hours straight of zombie survivor D&D, which is a lot of fun. It's just a modified 5e kind of uh, game scenario, and we stream the whole thing, and people can donate to throw extra zombies or special monsters at us and stuff like that, and I'm usually the DM for it, which kind of goes with the fact that i have insomnia so i can last for 48 hours and go <laughs> that's awesome the so one time a year it pays off yeah <laughs> that was gonna be my question like how many performance enhancers are you on for 24 hours because you have to be like <laughs> mentally involved with you know where everything's going in the story and you can't just be like sorry guys pause i need to take a drink of coffee real quick <laughs> I'm always drinking coffee. Same. I haven't slept properly since like 1995, so we're all good. 
comrade. Welcome aboard, you and me, man. <laughs> Fascinating. Well, we'll try to keep it as as uh, interesting as the life that you lead, my friend. Our first Canadian guest to join the pod. So, Tony, we're happy to have you, man. Let's let's dig in. All right, birthdays, June third. Warren, unload them on us. There's no, no, really, no birthdays. Not many people really know who Imogen Poots is. I know she was in Vivarium, but uh, isn't it Imogen? It could be. I think it's right. She was in Green Room too. Could be, but that's one of those names. I know, like when I lived in Australia, there were like people pronounce it differently. So, whatever. I'm not really going to do a birthday today. So, happy birthday to uh, Anderson Cooper. It's your birthday. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, the silver fox. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. There we go. He, he hasn't he hasn't aged in 25 years either. This is true. All right, five actors we threw onto the wheel. They were Dominic Purcell, Lynn Shay, who was the uh, the I guess our first real chance at a kingpin actor. Um, I, I mean, we might have had Woody on the wheel at some point too, so maybe that's wrong. But we had Biddy Gilpin, Roseman Pike, and the wheel landed on Seth. Benjamin Geschel Green, or as he's better known as Seth Green in the entertainment circles. As James mentioned, Seth is our second child actor in a row after last last time's Dakota Fanning. He's got about 200 credits on his roster, so he is one of the more busy actors mm-hmm. we've run into the past couple months. Not since Treo and Gary Cole and those types have we run into somebody with as many credits. And it's a big mix. There's a lot of films, a lot of brief TV appearances. Recurring characters, video games, animated, and lots of animated voiceover work. Pretty uh, diverse performer in terms of the, the things he's done over the years. So we're going to dig into it. And we always start with a little trivia. So, Tony, what we're going to do here is we're going to do, uh, I'm going to read off three facts. Two of them are going to be true. One of them is going to be a lie. And the lie is actually going to be about a cast member of the Fast and Furious franchise. So what you have to do on your end is guess. All right. So fact number one. Seth is credited with introducing to pop culture one of the most overused catchphrases of the 90s, cha-ching. Fact number two, although the entire cast of the Italian job was trained in stunt driving by Formula One world champion drivers, all of the cast members acknowledged that Seth was easily the best driver among them. Fact number three, he was given the key to the city of New Orleans for his contribution to the New Orleans Saints' first ever division title. Whoa. I think this is the first time I genuinely have no idea. I'm going to say number three, just because I don't really know what he has to do with New Orleans. And I'm going to say that was actually Taiwan native John Cena. (laughs) (laughs) Timely. (laughs) Oh, man. man. I'm going to go two is the lie. And I think that's Jason Statham. I'm going to go the lie is number one. But I think that's Seth Green's co-star in the knockaround guys. And the cornerstone of the Wild Speed franchise, Vin Diesel. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. There's a damn good chance it is Jason Statham for number two, but that's probably Gamita Samara, the auctioneer's assistant from Fast and Furious 6. I'm (laughs) pretty confident. I saw some on Twitter about that. I'm pretty sure it's actually uh, the second one with the Italian job, because I pretty sure i watched the behind the scenes and it's jason statham who they talked about for that i intentionally put that in there because it gave me the most options um so i will tell you that fact number two is not true that one is actually about 
Charlize Theron. So the principal actors <laughs> in, in the movie did most of the stunt driving themselves. And it was actually Fate of the Furious star Charlize Theron, who was a naturally gifted driver and the best amongst the cast to the point where Jason Statham had mentioned that in many interviews. She got multiple tickets while driving her own car during production uh, for going 40 miles an hour over the speed limit, which almost <laughs> led her to losing her license. Three pods in a row with some Charlize Theron facts. The woman is fascinating. I just want to know more and more about her. Fascinating. The facts about Seth Green that I read to you are true. If you type in who came up with cha-ching, what will pop up in your search engine is Seth Green. He appeared in a 1992 commercial for Rally's Burgers as an obnoxious drive through cashier who kept repeating the line cha-ching over and over again. And it became popular and it became kind of viral before viral was a thing because it led to fact number three, which was during the Saints 1991 preseason games, the scoreboard operator decided to try something out, you know, a little new. Let me be a little quirky and funny. And whenever the team delivered a big play, he would play clips from that really popular rallies commercial of that little redheaded dude saying cha-ching. <laughs> That's hilarious. The Saints started the season nine and one. And cha-ching kind of went viral for them, and it was on shirts and bumper stickers, and it was like the team's chant. Then they lost four in a row, and the team got nervous that like they were going to miss the playoffs t- despite starting 9-1. and one. And so they teamed up with rallies to send then like 15-year-old Seth Green down to New Orleans for a Monday night game against the Raiders where he led the cha-ching chant <laughs> with the cheerleaders in the middle of the Superdome. They won the next two games and their first ever division title, and the mayor gave him a key to the city and declared the day of that Monday night game, cha-ching day. I swear to God. (laughs) That is awesome. I was absolutely blown away. And he's like, yeah, I'm not even... Not even a fan of the Saints, and now I am. You know, like, that happens, and it's like an emotional experience for a young guy. He's like, I love him now. Wow. No kidding. He's also lived an interesting life, like Jesus. Oh, absolutely. James, some of your best work yet. Yeah, I mean, that one job. When you stumble upon something like that, like the guy invented (laughs) cha-ching. I didn't even know that was a saying. It's just like a term. (laughs) It's not, I didn't think it was something someone came up with. Well, that's our trivia segment. Let's dig into a snapshot in box office history. Case, what do we got? Seth Greenwood's uh, box office. Prowess is definitely not the thing we're going to be talking about tonight. He really doesn't measure up very well against the other actors we've we've really looked at. His highest marks come from his participation in the Austin Powers franchise, particularly the second movie, which grossed $279 million on a $33 million budget. Million. Million dollars. I was going to say, you couldn't say it the proper way? Million. And now I'm hearing about it from Rigby's dog because I didn't say it right. <laughs> She's pissed. Also, his uh, IMDb star meter is a little bit higher than I thought. But after looking into it, Kyle, this goes to the point you made earlier about how many credits he has. If you look at his IMDb star meter rating, he's got pretty much a project a week for as far back as you can tell. So he has stayed really relevant, albeit not with a lot of movies, but with, with just projects in general. The biggest number that I want to talk about on the board for Seth Green is his involvement in the movie Mars Needs Moms. (laughs) This movie sets an impressive amount of money that it lost in the box office, and it dethrones 
Our boy Chris Rocks, Osmosis Jones, for the most money lost out of all the movies we've looked at. Osmosis Jones lost $56 million. How much do you guys think Mars Needs Moms lost? I don't know the number, but I did read that it's the biggest box office disaster in like Disney history. So I'm going to go $75 million. I want to say 90 I know what it is, Craig, so I'm not going to guess. Any other guesses? No, I'm just going to look up the amount of cars you can buy at a pre-owned... Price. <laughs> I think it's actually probably over a hundred million loss. Damn, Warren, I'll let you do the unveiling honors. The numbers that I have that I see on is just from Wikipedia. It was a a loss of a hundred and hundred and forty one million dollars. Holy shit! Yes, it's staggering. When adjusted for inflation, it's like one hundred sixty seven million. <laughs> and what year did that come out? Twenty eleven. Twenty eleven. Yeah, lost a lot of money. Yeah. He doesn't measure up very well when you're comparing him against the other things we've kind of looked at with everybody. How does he stack up? So when you compare him against the same categories as everybody else, he comes up at a 35. Out of 37. Oh, boy. Well, we'll see how it stacks up comparatively to our months and meter scores at the end. Thanks, Case. Yeah, man. All right. Before we get into first feature film, the early days of Seth Green. James found more fun facts than I could find. I didn't find a whole lot about Seth's like personal life. In younger life and he's a jewish boy from philly and started acting when he was a kid uh going to auditions with his mom and his first role was in 1984's hotel new hampshire now before we talk about it i noticed somebody went into the show notes and wrote in all caps worst fucking movie ever so i'm really interested to hear from that person i think it's warren but I- i'm interested to hear more guilty so i mean honestly guys we could this could be the uh, like the movie that we watch once a week for a year this could be like the worst idea of all time podcast i told you guys wow this was originally a book that came out five years before it's i've done a lot of research on this i honestly wish that this was my movie because it is fascinating Um, It is. It really is the worst movie of all time. Incredibly stat cast, but it's based off a book, and it is known as a really, really good. What's what's the word I'm thinking of? Um, Book piece of shit. Yeah, yeah, that's both of them. Um, Adaptation. Okay, it is like spot on with the book, which blows my mind. Who the fuck wrote a book (laughs) like this? And I'll tell you who. It was John Irving who wrote. Uh-huh. World according to Garp. Yep. This came out. Then Cider House Rules, and then A Prayer for Owen Meany. Three of those four books belong like in libraries. Yeah. This one, absolutely not. So absurd. Just to run through, and I know Kyle, you did you watch the whole thing? I did. I didn't. Um, <laughs> but I did enough research on it. <laughs> it was the first Seth Green movie I watched. Kyle texted some things about this movie, and I was like, no way is this real. It's got fuzzies in it. This is like the worst version of an aristocrat's joke that you could possibly tell that got turned into a movie. (laughs) There is rape. There is incest. There is uh, a fuzzy. There's murder. There's like all this stuff in in this thing. Suicides and everything and it just doesn't make sense nothing about this makes sense <laughs> and the cast jodie foster Bo bridges rob lowe wilford brimley and like matthew wallace Shawn. oh my god yeah matthew modine jolie richardson yeah. the movie is absolutely ridiculous and terrible 
And the fact that this was a book and popular just doesn't make sense. You have to see it to believe it. It's so fucking bananas. Nothing about it makes sense. Well, I'm adding this on my list of shit to watch. Now. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, you kind of sold me on it. What's its rate? Rotten Tomatoes rating? 71. Yeah. What? What? It, it was 71 by uh, audience. Isn't it like an 87 critic? Uh, it is 71 critic, uh, 51 audience. <laughs> maybe maybe I added you know, a couple couple scores on there. And a six on IMDb. Warren failed to mention how one of the brothers is gay and Matthew Modine and his little band of goons make force him to bare ass hump the mud as punishment, like as hazing. And you're just yeah. like, what the fuck is going on in this movie? Nothing of it makes sense. It's bananas. Seth Green and his mom die. They're, they fly on a plane <laughs> and they die on their way to Vienna. I laughed so hard. Right? That's why I was like, why it did sh- I put a plane it shows a pla- oh, yeah. yeah, it shows them like flying and he's like, he is a tiny, he's like five or six in this, and he's like sleeping on his mom. And then it pans to the the aisle in the plane and like fog from, from like a band machine. It's like coming out of the bathroom. And then they show a plane flying in the air and it just blows up like Star Wars, like mm. a massive explosion. <laughs> and keep in mind, Seth Green's character is named Egg. Yes. Egg. And if you want to know why he's named Egg, they talk about it in the movie. It, the line is, because he began as an egg, and he's still an egg. That's why we call him Egg. Wow. It's hilarious. There you go. Keep this in mind. This is the first Seth Green movie I watched, and it's his first role ever. And it's not a big one, but by golly, it is a, uh, it's a whopper of a film. So it's on Tubi. Go check it out, listening audience. We don't normally give that long a review of the first ever role and have very little to do with the actor recovering, but <laughs> this one deserves all of the, the screen time possible. So. I'm going to go watch that one now. Everyone should go watch it, though. I'd totally recommend it. <laughs> it's, it's bananas. All right, <laughs> so that's his first role of 197. If you picked up by now, we're not going to hit all of them. We're going to hit some of the highlights. So over the next couple of years... Child actors trying to get work, so he's on Young People Specials. His first brief TV appearance in 84. He's in the movie Billions for Boris in 84 as well. And then in 85, he's in Tales from the Dark Side. Uh, and then he was in Amazing Stories in 85, a Spielberg project. And uh, followed it up in, as his role in Chucky in Can't Buy Me Love in 1987. Can't Buy Me Love was a big moment for his young career because that's when he and his mom made a big shift in how they did auditions, because up until that point, his mom was very much like, you need to be prepping until the last possible second before you go in. And he was very much like, do the prep work, show up, and just kind of like hang out and talk to other kids. And when he got that role, his mom was like, oh yeah, I don't have to be like Michael Jackson's dad. I don't have to be a fucking dick to my kid for him to be good at this kind of work. So that's the one little note I picked up. But that takes us to 87's First feature film, and that is his role in Radio Days, a Woody Allen film. Case is going to talk about it. Well, I know one of us on this podcast liked it, and it's definitely not me. <laughs> Rigby, warm up those vocal cords, because you're going to be chiming in here, because I don't <laughs> have, have a ton about it. Radio Days is a 1987 comedy drama written, directed, and narrated by Woody Allen. Like a lot of Woody Allen films, it had an impressive ensemble cast, including Seth Green, Mia Farrow. Yes, Mia Farrow. Danny Aiello's in it, Jeff Daniels, Larry David, Diane Keaton, Diane Weist, and Julie Kavner. You guys recognize that name, correct? No. 
No. Julie Kavner is famous for voicing which iconic cartoon character? Marge. Yeah, yeah. That's right, Marge Simpson. And so it was incredibly distracting for me because she is a major character in this role. So she's talking about a third of the movie, and the whole time all you hear is Marge Simpson, and it's it's, <laughs> it's a little bit distracting. I think Radio Days is a, it's a I, I won't say cute because that's a weird word to use there, but it's it's a it's a cool story, and I know that a lot of I guess it would be baby boomers. Like a lot of people in the baby boomer generation yeah. love radio days. They grew up like listening to the radio around the family, like around the, the, in the family room. Like this was before, you know, th- cause in a way this was, this was what made television what it is today. It was like these people heard stories through the radio. I can see why it's a cool story for them. Seth Green, I thought for his first big role, I thought he was great. I mean, he's like the third build actor in the movie. I mean, Woody Allen is the narrator of the movie and he's obviously yeah. the biggest the biggest character in it, but hats off to Seth Green for for taking this role and running with it in his first big one. Seth Green plays the young version of Woody Allen and Woody Allen narrates the whole movie. You don't see Woody Allen the whole time. Mm-hmm. He narrates it and Joe is playing him and kind of acting out his youth through these stories. I agree with Rigby. I thought he was great in it. The only thing is about 60 to 70% of his acting was just physical and reactive. There's, there wasn't a lot of dialogue. Yeah. He was really good at it. And a couple of the other things Rigby talked about, probably the most genuine laugh I had during the movie was they were talking about all these different radio shows. And there's a radio show where the mom loves, and it's a ventriloquist on the radio. <laughs> the mom loves it and enrages the dad. He's like... He's on the radio. How do you know he's not moving his lips? And she's like, oh, just leave me alone. I love this. <laughs> really good laugh out of that. Yeah. Like I said, I did enjoy Seth Green in it. My favorite scene of him actually was he's out on a night in a town with his aunt and one of her many boyfriends. And he's just sitting at this table while they're dancing. And he's acting like this big hotshot gangster. And he's drinking this Pepsi. And it was just, it was a really cleverly acted scene and it and it, it did make a pretty good impression i didn't enjoy the movie to be honest <laughs> like rigby said it's the baby boomers are going to love that movie because it's going to bring them back to when they were kids and even though i'm the old man on this podcast we did have a tv growing up and <laughs> the only time we sat around the radio as a family was during a tornado watch and there was no tv so <laughs> it did not pull at my heartstrings from a nostalgia standpoint. Put him on the map early on. Mm-hmm. Woody Allen was big at that point, so doing some good stuff. As I'm watching Seth Green in this role and how he acted, knowing what's about to happen over the next 10 years, I mean, the late 80s and early 90s was dominated by these adorable, cute child stars. And I don't really remember him. With the performance he gave in a Woody Allen high-profile movie, I'm shocked that he wasn't getting those giant roles was really surprising to me in hindsight they had to wait for him to go through puberty because he didn't get taller he just got a deeper voice and like more facial hair so they were kind of in this limbo of are we gonna have this you know 15 year old playing an eight-year-old who looks like an eight-year-old playing an eight-year-old or what's what's it gonna be the dude looked like a teenager until he was in his like mid 30s (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, he, he was. Yeah, he he it's, just kind of ages. You know, he's he's tiny. He's like five three. Do we think him being a ginger hurt him at all for casting early in his career? Being a redhead. I mean, you can be the 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 token redhead, and yeah. you know that's that's the draw for him. 
I'm speculating. I don't know. When he was a child star, I was not. I wasn't alive. <laughs> yeah, we were like one. Yeah, he was 11 or 12 years old when Radio Days was filmed. I wasn't watching football by the time he was saying cha-ching. <laughs> <laughs> he talks about because he's actually good friends with Macaulay Culkin and yeah. Mac. He mentions that one of the things that they are they bond over is that they were both child actors, but Macaulay Culkin reached like superstar at you know stratosphere level while he was just a child actor. So like he wasn't the child actor. He was just acting in movies. He was a side character. And Macaulay Culkin was like household name. Everyone knew him. And that was one of the things they bombed over because they both continued to act, but it's just like their paths are so drastically different. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And they met on Party Monster, didn't they? Because they're both in that one. That would make sense. Is that where they became friends? I'm not sure, actually. But you might be right because, I mean, that is, that's the first role I could think of them together in. And I'll mention him later in the episode, too, because they crossed paths uh, very recently in the last couple of years, too. Over the next four years, before we get to Largest Critic Gap, a few movies we'll note. So in 88, he's in My Stepmother is an Alien, plays a character named Fred. I noted this one because it's the first time that he worked with Allison Hannigan, who he works with quite a few times over his career. And we'll talk about a few of those coming up. But 90, he's in Stephen King's It as Richie. Yeah. Very important character to that story. He's in the good part. Yeah, I completely forgot that he was he was Richie in this, and it's, that's a massive role. He knocks it out of the park in that one. Me and my wife, we watch the original It and the new It's at least at least every couple months, just because she's a massive fan of it. He actually does such a good job in it that I forget it's him. If that makes sense, like he he just fills the role so well of Richie. Yeah. That's a lot of times watching it. I'll say that. (laughs) (laughs) And then 90, he's in Pump Up the Volume. That was a huge movie. It was one of Christian Slater's first, if not his first, breakout role. This had a cult following for decades. And and I would be surprised if there weren't still a pretty good following of this movie. He's been in some pretty huge movies up until this point. Yeah, especially in the 90s, which we're going to dig into now. He's in some other smaller stuff uh, between 90 and 93. But 93 is our largest critic gap which is the low-budget horror film Ticks. And Tony, as our guest Munson, will get a chance to review what would be my category in this case. It, it is Ticks under Largest Critic App. So, Tony, the floor is yours. As someone who loves shitty horror movies, this was a delight for me. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. It's a fun film that's really interesting to watch, mostly because of the fact that uh, Alfonso Ribeiro, our you know, Carlton from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air yes. is playing the streetwise gangster in this movie, and it is just totally out of character and fits but doesn't fit. That's just genius casting. He's trying so goddamn hard in that movie. He tries so, so hard. hard. This is a delight. So it's essentially one of those a bunch of teenagers are out in the woods horror-style movies, but it's a body horror monster movie. Essentially, they go out to this cabin and they're all teens from different walks of life. You have the rich kid, you have the gangster kid, and you have Seth Green, who's essentially the main character, realistically. And he's the traumatized nerd who is just a geek and doesn't fit in with the other kids because he's too mousy and he fits the role really, really well. And all of a sudden, these ticks start showing up that have been 
pumped with steroids that are supposed to be used for growing weed. (laughs) (laughs) Accurate. And so this movie has like a weird reefer madness meets like the thing body horror, like meets Camp Crystal Lake all rolled into one fantastic, terrible horror. It is awesome. I should have watched this. Damn it, I'm pissed. (laughs) It's fun because on top of like that going through with these ticks that are latching on to people but then like real ticks they cause hallucinations so they're tripping on lsd while being attacked and it's just a lot of fun for a body horror movie and i i love to put on these types of films when i'm just you know putzing around and i found myself completely absorbed into it and then uh you know because it's about weed being evil i had to go smoke some while i was watching so (laughs) My man is committed to his craft, and I, I respect it. Hells yeah. And it's only like an hour and 20 minutes long. It's a very short movie. When you look up pictures of this movie online, there's two of them. And one of them is the cover, so like the poster. Mm-hmm. And the other one's a gigantic fucking tick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just the actual tick just like covered in blood. I'm like, all right, I guess that's what all, all we need to see. Well, and even then, that giant tick doesn't show up until like the last 20 minutes. Yep. So everyone's just like, you just got to see the last scene. Here it is. <laughs> <laughs> the build up to like the end is like atrocious but in that like b horror amazing way and then once it gets to like that final they're all locked in the cabin and the ticks are attacking because there's a forest fire because the weed field got lit up on fire like mm. of course clint howard is in this movie too <laughs> yeah he's the one responsible he's the one who kind of creates the tick monsters tony like all good movies you walk away having learned something what did you learn from this movie uh, ticks apparently explode when you light them on fire. This is true. <laughs> flammable. Very flammable. There's a thing. Like, I know you can kill them with, like, a lighter. I've done that before, but I didn't realize how much they exploded. <laughs> Appreciate you, Tony. Thanks for the yeah. ticks rundown, man. So we're going to kind of kick through the rest of the 90s here, and he's in some big ones. So, 93, he's in Airborne as Wiley, a rollerblading movie. I watched it today because uh, it takes place in Cincinnati. Yes. How is it? The main character, Shane McDermott, the kid kid does a pretty good job. And he is from California and his parents get like uh, a grant to go to Australia. And he's like, oh, yeah, man, I'm going to go shred some gnar down and down and down under. It's going to be great. Going to go pick up some babes. They're like, no, you're going to Cincinnati in the middle of the middle of the winter. (laughs) So he shows up on a plane with like tie-dye and a surfboard and so it's like a fish out of water thing but his cousin is seth green and so they're complete opposites and he's like a uh, like a little hermit kid but they they do well playing off each other and uh jack it's like one of jack black's first movies as well he's got a really really uh, a small role in it a year later he's in another low budget kind of like horror thriller called arcade he plays a character named stilts I, I was watching it in the background, and I texted Cam Sully, former guest, and I said, have you ever seen Arcade? And this, is, this was his response. He doesn't know who we're covering, by the way. He goes, can't be full moon 90s film with a young Seth Green. So even he knew this was an early Seth Green entry, and it's about this like weird new arcade game that sucks you into the world and basically like steals your soul. And it's a it's a, a story of heroism as these young kids try to save their friends from the arcade. Did you say Jumanji? <laughs> you said Tron. 
I was going to say Tron. <laughs> Love it. Some similarities in plot there. But all that three-year gap. Again, there's some other smaller projects in there, but 97 has his first entry into the role as Scott in Austin Powers' International Man of Mystery. In my eyes, his most famous role. Because these movies, I was fortunate enough to have to, to get to rewatch them for the podcast. And even though, they, even though they haven't really aged well, I still find them to be absolutely hilarious. And his role as Dr. Evil's, he's basically his son that Dr. Evil doesn't know he had. And then he kind of wishes he didn't have, but he didn't have. But it is, uh, it's classic. And to, to, see, to see the back and forth between him and Mike Myers in a lot of these scenes is, is, is awesome. I think it really picks up in number two. For sure. Accurate. That's when he starts getting a little bit more voice. But when they go to uh, like therapy <laughs> and Dr. Evil gives that it's long a, speech. Dude. He's like, See? What does he say then? He, he's actually quite acute. I am trying to kill him. <laughs> My father was a relentlessly self-improving Boulanger <laughs> owner from Belgium with a little great narcolepsy and a penchant for buggery. <laughs> but you're, you're right though warren it, it kicks up with the entrance the entrance of mini me because it creates this conflict with scott mm-hmm. yeah, that yeah. really amps up the character mini me stop pumping the laser <laughs> oh, the, the, the funniest part in the first one where he's like i hate you i hate you i wish i was never created and he runs off with his arms like tucked yeah. in like a t-rex and he goes <laughs> I don't know where that came from. <laughs> I think the first one still holds up pretty well. Yeah, the the first one does, especially compared to the other two. I would agree with that. Yeah, the first one killed me when I rewatched it. The second one, I was like, okay, like it was, you know, there's some funny moments, but like the first one I thought was classic still. James, I'm with you. The that whole unfreezing scene. Yeah, <laughs> I never laughed at that before. Kill those, those capitalist pigs that was coming for him. <laughs> I didn't I didn't get it when it came out. When he comes out of the freeze and it's British intelligence and Russian intelligence is like, Russian intelligence, what are you doing here? And they're like, Austin, the Cold War's over. And he goes, those capitalist pigs paid for their crimes, eh, comrades? Like, uh, no. We won. And he goes, oh, yay, capitalism. <laughs> so fucking funny. You know? The one thing I will note here, I saw in an interview with Seth Green where he talked about his approach to the character. Dude, I saw the same one. I, ha- I wanted to get it in as well. So he, when he read for the character, he saw that like it is just this like action comedy that's super campy. But then he thought, like, instead of playing a character that plays up to that, what if he played him, like, real serious and dramatic? And so he's the only ca- – if you look at it, he's the only character in the movie that has, like, actual emotional like feelings. pain. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> I hate you. Drama. Yeah, he's sitting there going through, like, my father doesn't love me and, you know, he, he left me for dead. And, and then, you know, then it's Dr. Evil with, like, you know, doing his, uh, his thing uh, – what what's the scene where they he fucking calling him zip it and shit like that like it, it goes from like zip it. Zip yeah it. arguing over like i you know i haven't seen you for 20 years to this cartoonish argument it, i i love seth green in that i think it's one of the funnier characters i love how he calls him out on everything he's what is it like uh he, oh that's where the one million dollars comes from and he like laughs and he's like that's not even that much money you idiot 
<laughs> it's like, I've been frozen for 30 years. Like, I don't know what a lot of money. Is. My favorite line of dialogue in there is uh, when they're talking about Preparation H. Yes. <laughs> they say, yes, Preparation H does feel good on the whole. <laughs> it does feel good on the whole. <laughs> Glad we're springity the same lingity. Preparations A through G were a complete failure. But ladies and gentlemen, we finally have a tractor beam. We shall call it Preparation, Preparation H. H. Why don't you just, call, you just it call it Operation Ass Cream? <laughs> do you want some ice cream yes i'd love yes, a I'd giant love bowl of chocolate ass cream <laughs> this response is great perhaps later oh man they're still good to this day i was nervous they wouldn't be i'm glad they held up i quoted them a lot in high school so i was hoping that woodland back but like ah oh, fuck but 98 he's in can't hardly wait as kenny probably one from a visual standpoint one of his like i don't know you always remember his character in, in photos and video yeah, you remember his first line in the movie. It's because it, it it's it, the movie's about this high school party where uh, a bunch of different cliques from high school go. It's like the nerds, the horny kids, the jocks. Um, and the in the early moments of the movie, like the nerds are talking about if there's going to be girls there. And one of the nerds is like, "Do you think there's going to be girls there?" And the other nerd goes, "Are you kidding me? People might be having sex even." And then it goes to <laughs> then it goes to Seth Green's character who goes. Man, I gotta have sex tonight. It's, so funny. it's like, <laughs> Tupac's playing, so it shows like his his picture with his activities and like a quote. And his quote was "Picture me rolling, Tupac." <laughs> oh my God. His first line of the movie, you know, he's gonna be a hilarious character. He's just a yo. I've got to have sex tonight. Yo, I've got to have sex tonight. He's just like a desperate like kid trying to fit in and doesn't really one of those high school kids that hasn't really figured himself out quite yet. Mm-hmm. And that takes us to 99 for probably the biggest, the most pleasant surprise of a movie I watched for this entire episode, and that's Idle Hands, our lowest critic score. And I'm interested to see what James's perspective is on this movie, because I found it to be a delight. Maybe he did. Who knows? I also did. But, you know, I think Kyle prepped me for it pretty well, because I've heard of Idle Hands and I just had never seen it. And when he told me it was the lowest critic score... I was like, oh, that sucks. And then he's like, but it's actually pretty good. I'm like, oh, all right, cool. Well, I'm pumped to see it then. And the moment it starts, like you, you see the ridiculousness of it. So here's the plot synopsis that I got from Rotten Tomatoes. It's a, a slacker team named Anton, who's played by Devin Sawa, which is the dude from the first Final Destination movie. Little, little he, Giants. And Little Giants, yeah. Junior Floyd. Oh, shit, I didn't realize Casper. Little Giants. Yeah. Wild America. All I know of him is from the first final destination movie and which rocks yeah the first one's great a stifler's in it also <laughs> but i couldn't picture where this dude was from he just looked familiar but he, all right so in this his name is anton and he has his right hand possessed by a demon and it it, it proves to be an appendage of death killing his two best buddies <laughs> the names are great one's name is mick which is played by seth green and the other one's name is Nub. And that is the actual P-nub, no idea. And it's played by one of the Bash Brothers from the Mighty Ducks. Yeah, Fulton Reed. And he kind of looks like a chubby Sam Darnold. And I, I just like, as I was watching, like, kind of looks like a, a fatter Sam. It's just, it's just Sam Darnold. We just yeah. say Sam Darnold now. <laughs> but uh, he gets <laughs> murdered pretty quick in this movie and becomes a zombie almost instantaneously. That is the plot synopsis. That's what they tell you going in. So, like, that's what you're expecting to see on screen before the plot develops more. And so instead of kind of giving you my thoughts, 
like cohesively how I tried to. I just I'm gonna read to you the notes I took. One of them's Fred Willard, and then it's oh he's dead. <laughs> the other one is uh, the way they introduced Seth Green's character is Fulton Reed saying, "Oh yeah, well if your mom didn't have teeth, she would suck dick so well." Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, then it's Seth Green and he's dealing him drugs. This is the movie you're getting signed up for, and so like it wasn't. I won't say it was great. I would say I know the vibe they were going for. They were going for like a campy kind of evil dead feel. Some scenes made me laugh and some were, you know, kind of uninteresting, but I enjoyed it. There are moments where I was laughing. I was like, that's stupid, but it's funny. I would suggest you watch it, but I would also suggest you watch it knowing that I think I side more with the audience score on this, uh, which is like 50-ish. Like it's good. It's not great. Sure. Sure. But uh, Jessica Alba's in it. I love the bit when they're making out and his hand is trying to kill her. Yeah. And she's like, oh, you're doing the kinky things, huh? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he ties his hand to the to the bedpost. And she's like, yeah. oh, yeah, I'm into that. And he tries to rip the bedpost off. This movie, James, you're t- totally right on like, mm-hmm. like when to watch it and stuff like that. And I, I remember when I first watched this, I think it was like, maybe freshman or sophomore year in high school. Like I had like was spending the night at a buddy's house and it was on like one of the movie channels. And that was the perfect time for something like that was just like with some friends and Mm -hmm. you're just, you know, that's what it was. And, uh, it was funny enough and, (laughs) you know, uh, an appearance from Tom, Tom DeLong from blink 182 in it. That's right. I forgot about that. And the offspring did their content at the end. Yeah, it's because of Tom DeLonge in this movie that he credit he has a thank you to Seth Green on one of the Blink-182 albums. Dang. Enema of the State, I think, has a thank you to Damn. Seth Green. Interesting. Oh, man. What a, what an album. Yeah, to, to get your name on that, that's badass. That's so, crazy. like, and that's because of uh, Seth Green got him into this uh, movie. And that's kind of actually, it's because of this movie that Blink-182 saw a big upturn. No shit. Wow. Let's go. Okay, so you're saying it's like, hey, we're, they were a young up-and-coming band, and this was like exposure for them, and they're like, oh, as a thank you yeah. on our album that we know is going to rock, we'll say thank you. Badass story. Dude, Seth Green just has these random stories like this. That's awesome. And honestly, Idle Hands was so ridiculous, and Seth Green and Eldon as like the stoner zombies were hilarious. Yeah, I thought they were the best part. I enjoyed yep. them the most. Mm-hmm. They stole every scene they were in when they're in the vents and he goes, man, I really wish that I got with. I can't remember whatever that random chick uh, mm-hmm. was. And they go, oh, man, there she is. He goes, hey, do you still want a piece of her? She's like ripped to pieces <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for a lowest critic score. I feel like you struck gold on that one, James, like compared yeah. to some of the other turds that we'd have to watch. Yes, that one was uh, it was enjoyable. It's st- I mean, it wasn't great. So I won't say it was like one of the one of those ones where you're like actually this is a fantastic movie it was it was good it was fine and it was funny and there's some random roles and it's hour and a half i'm never gonna be mad mm-hmm. most of his movies that i watched were about an hour and a half or less hour 40 tops i mean which is pretty good i mean he's in a lot about indie smaller f- flicks so they're not gonna be as long they pay by the minute to rent cameras. yeah this is true <laughs> um, yeah. one thing we learned from tommy wiseau so, yes, I get both. Uh, I do both, <laughs> both format. You want to do both? Uh, fuck it. Let's run it to him. Anybody else got anything else for Idle Hands before we kick into uh, the uh, millennium? A great movie to watch while stoned. There you go. <laughs> right on brand. 
Yeah, I, I liked it. I liked it too. And it's it's a good You did? You get to Yeah, I did. It was right, a treat. It was a delight. And you get to see Seth Green with a heavy makeup and beer bottle in his yeah, he, forehead the whole movie. He gets murdered like eight minutes in and they stab yeah. him in the head with a beer bottle. And when he comes back, the beer bottle's just sticking out of his head for the rest of the movie. <laughs> it's fucking that's it's when fun. I was like, Okay, I get it. I, I yep. see what's happening. <laughs> People are probably gonna take this way too seriously and that's yeah, why it's lowest grade score. All right, so we've got a number of years until we hit largest audience gaps over the next five years. Awesome Powers by Shagmi, as we had mentioned before. I'd love to see where that paycheck's at, because at that amount of money, I'd be like, yeah, you know what? I, I think I could do a couple more of these. Yeah, yeah. How many you want to pump out? Let's go. <laughs> um, I'm, I will be available. I'll make myself available. In 2001, he's in Josie and the Pussycats as Travis uh, in an early scene in the movie making fun of 90s boy bands, which is pretty fun. He plays a boy band member who is very upset that another one of the guys has taken his face, like the <laughs> way he right. looks at the crowd and at the camera. And so they have a big kerfuffle on the, on the plane about that. <laughs> that leads to their manager bailing out of the plane um, uh, without a paddle style, which we'll talk about here in a minute. 2001, we've got Rat Race. He plays Duane, and I know Casey's got a story. So it's not about Seth Green. It is about the movie Rat Race. For those that don't know the plot of this movie, it's basically a race amongst a variety of characters from Las Vegas to the train station in Silver City, New Mexico. Eight years ago or so, I had to go to Silver City for work. And when we got into town, somebody asked me if, if we were in the right place. And I'm like, it can't be. I think where we're looking for is closer to the train station. <laughs> at which point, everybody looked at me like, the hell are you talking about? I go, there's a train station in Silver City, right? And they're like, 100% not a train station in Silver City. And I was like, shit, I just got a geography lesson from the movie Rat Race. <laughs> if you can't trust Mr. Bean, who can you trust with <laughs> geographical locations? <laughs> He's sleeping. I quote this movie way too often, to be honest. Do you quote John Lovitz and his family? Because <laughs> that's what that's what we quote. <laughs> I'll be honest; I've never seen Rat Race, but does Seth have some good one-liners in that one? He's just he's just an asshole in the, in the movie. Okay, there's not much to it. Yeah, him and his brother are like rednecks, and it's great. And like the Whoopi Goldberg bit is great. You should have bought a squirrel. I like I love that moment. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Rat Race is too good. <laughs> okay. I should have watched some YouTube clips, but I trust you guys. Just watch that part. <laughs> there you go. Um, and don't fucking look at the train station the next time you're in Silver City. <laughs> right, so. don't, tr- don't trust geography from movies. Also 2001, he's in Knockaround Guys as Johnny Marbles. He plays a pilot, but this is a uh, an early Vin Diesel movie where yep. uh, Vin Diesel plays, guess what? A badass who fights people. Um, you would have never wow. guessed because that's completely out of his range. As an actor, so come about Vin Diesel. Yes, he beats the piss out of that local. I'll tell you. Yes, that he much. does. <laughs> Holy like, cow! We're gonna let him know we're in town. I'm gonna beat the fucking shit out of this guy. And make him do my legwork for me. So, the only thing I would say about this movie, as it relates to Seth Green, is if you ever wanted to get a feel for what he's typecast is as kind of the the lackey who's incompetent, this movie would sum up yeah. his typecasting. One hundred percent. Austin Powers Goldmember 2002. My God, it's hard to believe it's been 20 years since Goldmember came out. That just ages you incredibly. Crazy. <laughs> um, all right, so 2003, Party Monster, a crossover with Natasha Leone. So really, 
one of the first times we've seen a crossover with another Munson act. So in Party Monster, as I think Case had mentioned, or James, uh, you got his boy Mac in that one. It's not party scene, it's the club kids scene, right? Cause, yeah, it's like the yeah. EDM, right? Like, yeah, which is where a lot of like the drag stars came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is also based on a true story, too. So he's like actually trying to imitate the person that it's based off of. And so this was very much outside the norm for both of them. Mm-hmm. A lot of elaborate costumes. He talks about he he's very proud of this movie and this role. And it only took 14 days to shoot that movie. And oh, when shit. you watch it, you, you get that sense because it's pretty low budget when it comes from that standpoint. So interesting movie. First crossover with another Munson that we've hit other than our mentions to Vin Diesel and others like that. But that also leads to 2003's Italian Job, his character as Lyle. I like this role for Seth Green because he plays it really well. He's like this kind of nerdy guy who gets picked on a lot, but he can also like dish it out with the best of them. Yeah, he holds his own. <laughs> yeah, and he's, he's great in it. His whole thing is that he, he was actually the one who founded Napster and not Sean Parker. <laughs> he alleges that he came up with the code for the for the app or for the website and Sean Parker stole it from when he was sleeping. So it's a kind of a cool little cool little storyline too. <laughs> a bunch of people asked him like was this a tough role for you? He's like, "No, other people on set had to like learn like all this intense shit." He's like, "I just had to learn how to scuba and a little bit of how to ride a motorcycle." He's like, "It was pretty easy for me comparatively to everybody else." And then finally, 2004, he's in Scooby-Doo 2, Monsters Unleashed as Patrick. He plays Velma's nerdy love interest who you for a time think is the villain but he's really not he's just a nerd that's called a red herring a red-headed herring is that what those are <laughs> i've heard that term so many times warren's here to provide it that's what Thanks, he's got for us and then we have largest audience gap 2004's without a paddle a podcast favorite rigby mm-hmm. struck this one without a paddle is a 2004 comedy starring seth green matthew lillard dax shepherd they play three friends starting in their childhood and eventually into their adulthood adulthood who find out one of their childhood best friends has died in an accident and they all meet up at his funeral in their hometown and while they're there they discover that you know they're kind of talking about old times and they discover that the friend who was an adventurous person had a map of a treasure from db cooper I believe Warren mentioned him in a podcast episode. I think it was the Gary Cole episode. Is that right? <laughs> yes, yes, that is correct. It's <laughs> <That is> very <laughs> correct. <laughs> One of the better moments in months in history, if I may say so myself. <laughs> That's good. Good throwback. Of the three friends, Seth Green's like the most successful of the three. He's a doctor. And really, it's Matthew Lillard and Dak Shepard's character who egg Seth Green into participating in a treasure hunt to find billy's treasure who billy's the one who died to find the treasure that they that he set out to to find as a kid and so these three guys who have no experience with camping or or wildlife whatsoever they decide to 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 trek down the river and and locate this treasure on a map and as you can guess on their way three guys with no camping experience they run into some some pretty interesting and quirky characters from a crazy sheriff to farm boys who grow marijuana to all natural women with hair on their legs. It's a pretty... See, they're downstairs. Right. Combine that with them running into... Usually, you know, if you have a movie that takes place in the outdoors, there's going to be a wild animal of sort, whether it's a bear... Or Burt Reynolds. (laughs) Or Burt Reynolds. Yeah, exactly. Burt Reynolds makes a cameo as D.B. Cooper's partner in this, which is kind of cool. As a nice little play on Deliverance. If you've ever seen Deliverance, it's... I was going to say, they'd like take a lot from Deliverance in this, like... 
parody. They do. It. It's like the hillbilly, you know, inbreed uh, farmers, just like right. the crazy people that they meet. And the Bubba Sparks song, Deliverance. Oh, yes. Oh. Good call. That's the other thing. This movie has a really good soundtrack to it. A good mix of popular songs from the early 2000s, but also some good stuff from the 80s. The Rolling Stones with the weed burning scene. That is perfection. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This might have the best soundtrack of any movie we've looked at. I would agree. That's up there for me, too. I would say Can't can't Hardly Wait has a beat, but uh, this is pretty close. True. Oh, wow. Seth Green, his character, he really embellishes the slapstick comedy in here. It's a lot of physical comedy. Pretty much, I would say all three of them do a good job of it. Matthew Lillard and Dex Shepard combined. But Seth Green's funny. He's the the nerd who gets picked on and even though he's rich and successful in his later life he's still they still revert back to calling him names and making fun of him like they did when they were kids so it's kind of a cute little storyline but i like it i mean i know the critics weren't the biggest fan of this but if you go into it knowing what to expect which is just kind of a dumb quirky movie about three friends who want to have a good time again and kind of leave their stress life you know behind i it's enjoyable and i think if you go into it expecting that you'll you'll feel the same way so it's a fun movie i knew seth green was shorter but like he's unfortunately paired with like four of the taller actors (laughs) (laughs) the two hillbillies chasing him are like gigantic actors and then matt lillard's like six four like these are all big dudes like they did him no favors because i was watching it and immediately i was like is he shorter than I remember him being? And it's like, no, these are also giant men next to him as well. I think it actually played well because it's like, this isn't the first time that Matthew Lillard and Seth Green have been in a movie together. You know, Seth Green doesn't have the short man complex. He almost plays no, into it a little bit more. Yeah, he did. Yeah, right. Does. He's like, I'm short. Fuck it. Yeah. He's yeah. the opposite of Tom Cruise. <laughs> he comes across like kind of like a goofball that can like give people shit back. And so they pick on him, but he's part of the squad. Yeah. Kyle, I know you like the scene. I know you like the scene where they make him, where the the bear finds them, and and they make him get in the fetal the fetal position to try to uh, try to the avoid the bear. It's yes. not working. <laughs> Help me. Yeah. Was it Randy from uh, yeah, something about he, Earl? He one of the play. Yeah, he's playing. great. <laughs> he is great. I quote often. D E D dead. Fucking kills me every time. And oh, and when they're walking through the, the woods and all of a sudden they hear Creed, they're like, wait, is that Creed? Because like, <laughs> they're just fucking ripping <laughs> yeah. some fucking Creed out in the middle of the woods. Like, I never thought I'd be so happy to hear Creed. <laughs> <laughs> Get out there, check out Without a Paddle. It's a goodie. 2005, he's in The Best Man slash Unhitched, depending on where you find it, on which service. He plays Murray. He's rocking a British accent, y'all, um, and he plays the best friend who is a saboteur of uh, his relationship, and it was also one of David Oyelowo's first movies as well, so fun facts there. And that leads into 2008's Sex Drive. Seth Green plays Ezekiel, a sassy, sarcastic Amish who is really good with a wrench. And that's a crossover with our boy James Marsden, who is also the other eccentric character in that that's sex drive um 2009 he was in old dogs as craig which i think is technically his worst rated movie alongside robin williams and john travolta it is not available right now i'm sad i couldn't watch it it's coming to disney plus soon yay oh thank god it deservedly is the 2009 worst rated movie it it sounds awful it is rough that's the best right there it's rough it's rough um but 2010 you know things go up a little bit he marries claire grant 
and uh, they're still happy, happily married today, so good for him. She's in some of his later movies, which that's cool, too. But 2011 gets us Mars Needs Moms. He plays Milo in that big box office stinker that Case talked about. Um, it's, it's, he's alongside Dan Fogler in that one, and it's a weird film. because I, So I, I watched it, and I don't know the animation. I don't know how you like what the technique is that they use. That's why it's so expensive. So the character he plays a, like a kid looks like him, but it doesn't sound like him. And it wasn't until after that I learned that he did all of the filming, and then they they felt that his voice didn't match the like the age of the kid, and they had some other kid come in and record the voice. He's on the casting list because his face is tied to the kid, but his voice is not the kid. His likenesses. Yeah, it's very odd. But that gets us to 2012's highest critic score, and that is The Story of Luke. Warren has it. Story of Luke. I'm going back-to-back weeks with uh, movies discussing yeah. people with mental challenges, you know, um, stuff like that. But I'll be honest, when I initially started it, I'd say I was about two minutes in. I was like, where is the playback like speed button? And the movie's only an hour and a half long. So it's 2012. A story about Luke, a young man with autism who embarks on a quest for a job and a girlfriend. He was abandoned by his mom when he was young, and so he was living with his grandparents, and uh, his grandma dies. Grandpa can't really take care of him, and so he has uh, family nearby. And uh, the his uncle is uh, Carrie Elwes and Kristen Bauer, who Rigby she is Manhands from Seinfeld. From Seinfeld, yeah. Sweet. And so Luke lives with them and their two kids, and y- you get a really good sense of where this is going. He's he's a burden on them because they don't know anything about autism, and they think that he's just going to weigh them down and, you know, make them, like I said, a burden. But the family itself is, you know, the, the four people in the family, they're already kind of in shambles as it is. The uh, father and the mother don't really talk anymore. They're always fighting. The kids are always fighting. They always hate each other. And over time, he interacts with each of them individually and through just his breakdown, Luke's breakdown, kind of taking complex scenarios and everything and giving what people would say is, you know, a very realistic and like straightforward response to questions that they may ask. You know, they're almost asking rhetorical questions and having a one-sided conversation with Luke, who's really quiet when he you know is communicating and he responds honestly and they're like whoa like that's kind of profound and so he has a big impact on the family and everybody starts interacting better um stuff like that so it's it's not it's not a bad movie it's not a great movie i'll never watch it again um but it was cool to do a little reading on it and uh it had great reception with the autism community positive reviews from uh the advocacy organization autism speaks that's good one of their quotes was luke transforms the people around him that were under the assumption that they would be caring or caring for him this is not unique but often discussed most people have not had the pleasure of either knowing somebody with autism in all facets and so they 
you know, he does, he does a, a good job. You know, I, I know, know some people who I grew up with who are autistic. And I think initially at the beginning of the movie, I was like, I don't know how this is going to go. But then once he starts interacting with people and you kind of see how things are, you know, it really kind of comes around. But Seth Green's character, he's somewhere on the spectrum, yeah. but he, he refers to, in his word, NT, which is neuro, neurologically... Typical? Typical, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's his, his version of saying people who aren't, don't have autism or you know any any other kind of uh mental disability and he's a necessary character but he's not that huge he's he's honestly a little bit annoying in the movie i mean he's just kind of like a a a necessary plot driver yeah that's really all i can say about him in the movie and he, he is like He's the second build in the movie, and he's probably you know fifth in screen, fourth or fifth in screen time. Yeah, it would be a good one to watch with kids or something like that at a certain age, just for kind of exposure. It, it's it's a very subtle and very kind of smooth introduction into you know how normal uh, you know just because it doesn't mean they're gonna you know need your help for everything. Like people with autism go on to leave perfectly typical lives all on their own it's it's a decent movie it's worth it's worth a watch it's on amazon but you get through it once and you know that's that's about it yeah different type of role for him for sure like taking on an autistic role i agree wholeheartedly it's a decent little indie flick i don't know if it would qualify for highest credit score but i guess when you're matching it up against all the other stuff he's in it falls into that bucket warren were you disappointed that it was not part of the star wars franchise (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah i think i think you're right craig i think that's a really good way to put it <laughs> if i was in the conversation that this movie came up and i had never heard of it i would totally make an asshole of myself trying to explain <laughs> that i thought it was part of the star wars legacy <laughs> well to kind of round it out for his film career uh, so 2013 to modern day the big ones will hit he voices howard the duck in the guardians of the galaxy movies um, I guess just the first one. I don't know if he, is he in the second one too. He has a bigger part in the second one. Yeah, I guess he does. He's in a one shot of Endgame in the final battle, but he does voice Howard the Duck in the first one, at least in the in the the end credits. So a little crossover with Chris Pratt and Vin Diesel. Show some respect. That's true. The grunting tree that is Vin Diesel. Seth plays little drums in an Elvis biopic kind of movie called The Identical, another bomberoo in the box office. That was the other one, c- case where I said probably had lost a bunch of money. I read the synopsis for this movie, and I did not watch it solely because I thought it looked like a dramatic version of Walk Hard. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, you're right, it does. I'm like, I, I can't do that. It was pretty brutal. It was pretty brutal. Yeah. I did watch it. I can say that I... I wish I hadn't, but I did. Uh, but he plays little drums in it, so good for Seth. Big gap between the audience and the critics. Six for the critics and 62 for the audience. So, Kyle, where do you fall in that range? Ah, like a 30. Oh, that was very political of you. Yeah. No, I mean, it's it's not like Hotel New Hampshire, batshit crazy, bad, but it's just uh, empty. Like it, And the guy who is the lead is a Elvis impersonator. And I think it was probably his first big acting role. And so it's it's pretty brutal from that standpoint. There you go. That's what you get for putting a fucking 
singer who doesn't act into a primary acting role into a big budget movie. You get what you pay for from that standpoint. 2014, he crossed over with Dakota and Yellowbird. So this is the second week in a row we talked about Yellowbird. That's 200% more times than anybody else on any other podcast. We'll talk about the movie <laughs> Yellowbird. 2015, he's in Krampus as Lumpy and Case has something he wants to ask us all. Did anybody watch this movie? Yeah. Fuck yes. We did a podcast episode on it this Christmas. Is that the Adam Scott Krampus? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Did anybody realize who Seth Green was? Yeah, he's the clown slug thing. Oh, no shit. This is the first movie we watched that we've had somebody that I did not believe the IMDb. I watched this whole fucking movie specifically <laughs> for the Seth Green parts. And I got down and I'm like, hold up. Wait, what? Where was he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I could see it because he likes to do weird voices. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Which we haven't even really gotten into much of his voice acting side. Um, but we will. Dear Dictator 2017, he plays a creepy dentist who licks Katie Holmes' toes. So if that's your thing, like right up your fucking alley, you might be <laughs> jealous. You may not be. I don't know. And then the Guardians of the Galaxy 2 2017, he's in the Lego Batman movie as King Kong. I think one of two different times he plays King Kong in different projects. And then most recently, he directed, so his directorial debut, Changeland. And he also co-wrote that. It's a dramatic role alongside his wife and a lot of his friends because they were filming overseas and he needed people that he could trust to get the work done. So that's why Macaulay Culkin's in it. That's why Brecken Meyer's in it and a lot of the other guys that he's worked with over his career. It's okay. It's a decent little flick. I'm, it's not great. It's not terrible. He definitely wrote himself a dramatic role from that standpoint. But interesting if you're, if you're interested in how Seth... Seth's career is going um, beyond just on screen and the, the director's chair. I know he's directed some television show stuff over the over the years too, but first time film. So interesting one to check out. I think it's on YouTube and on Prime. How was he in the directorial chair? The movie had this really interesting vibe to it because the whole concept is his character is sad because he thinks his wife's been cheating on him and so he's reconnecting with his best friend who hasn't talked to him like a decade because his wife didn't really let him talk to him and they're overseas i think they're in thailand so like filming on location and like getting the vibes it kind of had like a what was which one was which hangover was it where they're in second one was it the second one where they're in thailand yeah it has that kind yeah. of vibe to it he was okay i mean i didn't it wasn't like I was like, that's a glaring omission or glaring error from the director's chair. It was fu a fine enough movie, but it's just like a little project that he did with him and his friends, essentially. Interesting. I watched much worse uh, Seth Green movies along the way. There were two that I couldn't even finish. Did you watch Jack Goes Boating? So PSH's yes. directorial, how would you compare the two? Ooh, I like Changeland a little bit more. And I think it's because Jack Goes Boating is, is basically a play. Yeah, it's like a stage play on, play on screen. That was fucking dull. Yeah. It's a decent one to check out. I'd, I'd recommend people scope it out at some point. But don't, don't move towers to do it. All right, so let's get into some television work. Recurring TV characters. He's at 28 over his career. So he's done a lot of television, a lot of consistent television. And while you're listing them, you know, one or two kind of stand out as maybe why some of his movies fell off a little bit. Yeah. We're not going to talk about all 28, but we'll talk about the, some of the major ones. So first one, Good and Evil. He played a character named David. That was 1991. He won the Young Artist Award for Outstanding Young Comedian in a TV series. So kind of out of the gate for television 
okay, I guess, fr- from that at least critic circle or whatever that happens to be. How many times did he say cha-ching in it? <laughs> <laughs> Not enough. The key to the city of New Orleans. 91. I didn't have a commercial segment, you know. But one of the big ones, as James alluded to, was his role as Oz in Buffy the Vampire Slayer from 97 to 2000, where he provided some dry humor, some comic relief, and he got a nom for a Teen Choice Award for his role. He's like an adorable little werewolf. (laughs) (laughs) Did you want to scratch him out of the chin? Yeah, man. (laughs) He said he really enjoyed it because it was the first role where he got to play guitar on screen and kiss girls. So, there you go. Yeah, especially uh, Allison Hannigan, who he was like friends with. Exactly. Because they've done so many things. He's like, so it wasn't awkward either. So it was best case scenario. But the big one, Family Guy, Chris Griffin, Neil Goldman, 1999 to 2021. Yeah, it's like one of the most iconic cartoons of all time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's in like 370 episodes of that. Agreed. Yeah. I'm not a huge Family Guy fan, but <laughs> Chris is, I think, one of the best characters because he's just so awkward and... <laughs> Uh, it's hilarious. Yeah. So Seth uh, Seth Green originally, when he was doing the voice, he kind of made Chris into like a surfer dude because he saw he had blonde hair and the hat and the earrings. But uh, outside of that, for the audition, him and his friend had been having just a funny conversation about the movie Silence of the Lambs and uh, Buffalo Bill and what Buffalo Bill did for a living. And if he still walked like he did in silence of the lambs or, and talked like he did in silence of the lambs. So it was like, you know, is Buffalo Bill, a, a telemarketer, you know, like he's talking with that weird voice the whole time. And so they started talking like the serial killer in silence of the lambs to each other, but having like normal conversations. And so after he did his surfer dude voice for Chris, he was like, wait, can I try something? And he did the, Buffalo Bill serial killer voice, and they're like, "Yeah, but can you make it like a little higher pitch so he sounds younger?" Like, "Yeah, like perfect." And he's like, "And they hired me like the next day." That's hilarious. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. How does his voice hold up after 21 years? Can is there much of a difference between the latest season and the early seasons? So, in in the first season, I would say it it bounces around a little bit, but it's been pretty much consistent ever since then. I would say like those first few episodes where other characters voices are changing as well and you could tell they were getting like canceled and resold to fox like the first 10 times (laughs) but after that like chris's voice has been really consistent and so seth green has been it's like him seth mcfarlane and like uh alex bornstein from mad tv have been like the three most consistent people on there that's impressive there you go It, it you can definitely understand it's him when he talks and um you know, it's it's still a lot of strain on his voice. And so I have mm-hmm. a lot of respect for him that he does it unmodulated because Trey Parker, I think around like season 10 or 12 in South Park, they like he doesn't do the actual voice at Cartman anymore. He talks normally and they have it modulated because mm-hmm. it killed his voice to do yeah. Cartman's mm-hmm. voice take after take with the, yeah. without it. Yeah, without everything. So. The fact that he does that, not everything for robot checking, which we'll get into, is just impressive. Yeah, it is. I had no idea he was the voice of Chris Griffin. So his voice blended in completely for me. I had no clue. So. Oh, really? I'm, I've never been a huge Family Guy fan, so I really I couldn't have told you it was Mila Kunis that voiced Mag either. But I think a lot of times you can tell right away. But he he changes that voice so much that for me, I just had no clue. The only reason I knew is because of the 
title card. Yeah. <laughs> it's it, it just because it's, I was like, there's definitely, that's definitely the Seth Green they're referencing. Lots of other characters. He's Mitch Miller in that 70s show from 03 to 04. He was on Mad TV several times between 2000 and 2005 as uh, Brightling. And then he is the creator, producer, writer, and does all sorts of voices on Robot Chicken, which he started, I guess, started in 2005, going to today. And lots and lots of awards, primetime Emmy noms. And there's a really interesting story about where that show started involving Conan. The way it had started was he saw Conan O'Brien would do these. He thought Conan O'Brien's hilarious, which I do as well. Um, and he would see this, the action figures that Conan would have of himself as like some of the skits he would have on his show. And so he had an idea of what if he had an action figure of himself and then they did like stop motion animation of the, the two celebrities action figures interacting with each other in funny ways. And immediately everyone's like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. And (laughs) they started putting like a production team behind it and they made a bunch of different episodes, but it was going to be on like whatever NBC's version of like YouTube was at that time. I actually even forget the company specifically. And it just wasn't a platform that could host it and they were going to save it for that. And so he eventually just worked on getting the content back once that went under and what is it 10 years later now he's been working with cartoon network and he's got a bunch of emmy awards for it yeah it was actually steph mcfarlane who recommended he talk to the the folks at adult swim when they were developing it and boom and it's gold oh yeah and he said it's like it's weird i'm winning awards for like what i did in my grandma's basement (laughs) (laughs) this is me playing with toys and i thought it was funny and you know i didn't think it would turn into what it is my favorite uh, robot chicken sketch is like 15 seconds long and it's the gummy bear frolicking in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, I'm a gummy bear. I'm a gummy bear. And then it's, it gets caught in a bear trap and it's just the most blood. <laughs> 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 Maybe 10 seconds. It kills me. <laughs> My favorite one. I, and I'm sure Seth Green has a deal in it, but it's, uh, if you just go to YouTube and type in robot chicken, bop it. Yeah. Like that like that toy bop it. It's uh it's probably forty five seconds long. It's it's impressive. I was watching a bunch of it for this. It's like a TV show for people with fucking like ADHD. Yep. Because it's like some of the the skits are like five seconds legitimately. Some even less, like three seconds. Like and if you blink, you'll miss it. And they're just rapid fire one after another. Because the episode's only what, like eleven minutes long? Something yeah. like that. Yeah. That gummy so. bear uh skit is like 15 seconds i wasn't joking when i said that i think it's like Mm -hmm. total 15 seconds and it's so fucking funny it's quick man he said that family guy was like it was like a sign for him because when he read the script he's like it sounds like this is a show that was written specifically for me because it's just nothing but pop culture jokes and references and like that's all i do in my free time and then when the idea for uh, robot chicken came around he's like well this is also this is exactly what i've been wanting to do Mm-hmm. I even love in uh, Blue Harvest, the Family Guy one, when there's the line that Chris makes about like, didn't Robot Chicken just do this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so meta. Look at that. So other voiceover roles he's done over the years. He was on American Dad for 11 years, voiced a bunch of characters there. The Cleveland show from 20, 
2009 to 2013. Phineas and Ferb. Don't worry, I'm going to come back to the big one. I'll get there. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from 2014 to 17. Superman, he is a producer on that project. And then you've got right there, sandwiched in between, probably one of his bigger pop culture moments. Uh, he plays himself, or a version of Seth Green, in Entourage in a number of episodes where he and E are mortal enemies. <laughs> it's my favorite recurring bit on the show. Yeah, I agree. You know Seth Green is this lovable, goofy geek in all of his roles, and in the show where he's playing himself, he's just like this arrogant, condescending asshole who's just trying to pick a fight with Eric the whole time. <laughs> and it just comes out of left field and is like so unsettling it that it's just like the perfect bit. Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny too because he's always with his like, his entourage is like three friends mm-hmm. and they're like yeah. they're all just such douchebags like, <laughs> yeah, they're all huge douches yeah entourage has a lot of like celebrity cameos who play themselves and he's he's probably the best one of all of those throughout the oh, yeah. eight or nine seasons of that show for sure the most interesting part for me about his role in entourage is when he talks and james i know you'll know this because you you watched the same interview i did where like too many there were a ton of people in real life that thought he was a dick because of that show, because he was playing <laughs> Seth Green and not Bobby McDoucheface or whatever he wanted it to be. <laughs> and to where he would like go to parties and events and they'd be like, oh, that's Seth Green. He's a dick, right? And he's like, no, called acting. Like, come on, guys. Actually, I can't believe people are that stupid, but <laughs> that, like, it's so clear. And that's what makes it great is like, this is the guy you know from the Wonder Years cameos, and you're like, oh, it's that dude I saw in that one. And he's always like this dorky, nice dude. And in this, it's aggressive, like absolute dickhead. And every time he sees E, he's like chirping him about his ex girlfriend and all this shit. You're like, oh my god, that's uh, it's good fun. But to round out recurring characters, played Blinker Quartz in Crossing Swords, um, most recently in 2020, which is related to Robot Chicken from my understanding. So in that same universe. In terms of brief TV appearances, he has over 70 of them. So again, we're not going to name all of them, but we'll hit some of the highlights. So the first one, as James had mentioned, he plays Jimmy the slimy painting negotiator in The Wonder Years in 1992. So one of his earlier ones. But from there, Beverly Hills 90210, he's made two different uncredited i guess cameo roles on snl he was on an episode of the x-files great episode of the x-files where they break in area 51 and somebody brought up earlier how unfair it was to be cast with uh lillard in without a paddle he looked incredibly short compared to to coveney in this (laughs) well he was also still a teenager at this point wasn't he might have been fully grown. And Duchovny's got that haircut that makes him look like three inches taller. He like <laughs> puffs that front up, you know? <laughs> got a still creamer looking, thing going on. Yeah, still he look, blow dries it. Still looking like a snack. Aqua Teen, Hunger Forced, 03, couple episodes of Sesame Street, the mid-2000s. Will and Grace, Grey's Anatomy, played Russell in a couple episodes of Crank Yankers. Love Crank Yankers back in the day. He's the burger joint trainer in an episode of Reno 911. My name is Earl. Heroes. How I Met Your Mother. He plays Scrunch in an episode of Community. A very short bit about Jeff's nightmare vision without the team. He's in Broad City, The Simpsons, Historical Roast. He plays David Bowie, which is a Jeff Ross show. So that's just kind of like tip of the iceberg. That's what, like 15 of 70. That's a pretty healthy lineup of really good, funny shows. Yeah, it is. I'm impressed. And I saw in an interview, he said he loves doing these like side pieces 
one-off stories. He said that works really well for his style and his schedule. And so he has no issue doing those. Well, and he also does a lot of uncredited stuff, like uh, going through his IMDb. He's in Shazam as a friend, uncredited. Yeah. Godzilla, King of Monsters, uncredited. Like, if you just go through it, it's like he just constantly is like, he's a super nerd. So he finds out these projects are going. and He's like, hey, can I just be in the background somewhere? That's awesome. And then shorts and video games. I mean, this dude's done a ton of stuff. Marky Mark and the Funky Butch make my video. He makes a very small appearance in Weird Al's White and Nerdy as the action figure guy. That's like showing on the wall of action figures, if you remember that music video. Which is probably just a, you know, tour of Robot Chicken. <laughs> no. Um, and then in the video game world, 10 video games. He's three Family Guy games. He's the voice in Mass Effect 1, 2, and 3, a voice. Uh, the voice of Joker. Yeah, which is pretty big. I feel like it's pretty popular, right? It's a huge franchise, and Legendary Edition just dropped, so, you know. My wife is a big fan of the Mass Effect franchise to the point where she actually has a Seth Green quote as her primary text ringtone, so every time she gets a text, I hear Seth Green. Oh, this is why, <laughs> this is why you picked Seth Green at this moment right here. Right here. Tony, what is the quote? Message coming through. Patching it in. <laughs> oh okay, he hears it 55 times a day. Sometimes more. When we're driving sometimes and her phone's in the, her purse in the back and like it's just going. I have a feeling you're going to knock him great. on the Munson meter because you have to hear his voice countless times. Oh no, I still love him, but like every day. <laughs> Jesus Christ, tell her to turn on vibrate. Let's go. Um, <laughs> and then finally Call of Duty Infinite Warfare came out in 2016. And then Outside of that, he's done a ton of producing. So he's got 27 producing credits. Some of the stuff we didn't mention because he produced some of the things we did mention. Titan Maximum, Friendship All-Stars of Friendship. Yeah, some WWE stuff. So WWE Slam City and Camp WWE. Buddy Thunderstruck, Una Moore, and Hot Streets. So lots in that game. He's pretty active in the, uh, the entertainment world. So top performances, Rigby, what do you got for us? All right, we're going back to uh, an old... Classic. Thought for your penny. Nice. I think we've done four or five from Thought for Your Penny. And I think we have. They usually come up with a good list. So this is film and TV roles. So to boil it down to top to top ten is pretty tough, but who wants to take a stab at it? So no video games. No video games. Shit, I was gonna guess Mass Effect. Give me can't hardly wait. Yep. Idle hands. Yes, nice job. Are these numbered? They are numbered. Idle hands is two. Oh. And can't hardly wait is six. Take that, critics. <laughs> What about Stephen King's It? Nope. Well, he should because he was great in that. Austin Powers? Austin Powers is number one. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Oh, um, Party Monster. No, surprisingly. It's not on here. <laughs> Chris Griffin. That's on here. That is number 10. I don't really know why. Probably because it's a voice role, but that's number 10. I think it should be higher. Without a Paddle? Yeah, Without a Paddle is eight. Rat Race. Seven. Nice job. Wow. Fire. Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Nope. Oh, Oz didn't make it. Josie and the Pussycat Dolls. Nope. <laughs> Radio Days. Nope. Holy shit. Airborne? Nope. Oh, it should be. I love that movie so much when I was a little kid, I was afraid to rewatch it because I don't want to ruin it for myself. <laughs> All right, give me a long <laughs> shot. Hotel New Hampshire. Nope. The Italian Job? The Italian Job. Nice job, Tony. Italian Job is number five, so we need, we need um, three, four, and nine. Give me Robot Chicken. Yep. Robot Chicken's on there. Nice job. That's number four. Please tell me Entourage is on there. Nope. Greg the Bunny? Nope. Yeah, we didn't mention Greg the Bunny tapes. Oh my gosh, <laughs> Greg the Bunny! I didn't know he was in Greg the Bunny. <laughs> yes, he is. Is there, are they movies or TV? Both. One is one is voice slash live action, I guess you could call it, and then the other is uh, voice a movie slash live action. 
boys. Knockaround guys? Knockaround guys is three. Really? What? I don't know about that. Sex drive. Mars needs moms. No, one is one is a very brief. It's a huge hit movie, but it's very brief. Howard the Duck, Gardens of the Galaxy. Yes. Yeah. Really? What? Yeah. Why would they put that on there? Penny, for your thoughts, you fucked us again. What is going on here? All right. They sure changed us. We always shit on Rigby for these moments too, and we shouldn't. I would argue that Family Guy should probably be number one because I feel like that's even though it's a voice role, I think it's. It's one of the most iconic. and Yeah, I agree. I don't know why. I mean, Austin, I'm not mad at Austin Powers being one, but I think Family Guy should definitely be higher on this list. Family Guy and Austin Powers feels like the, the one-two combo. Mm-hmm. It feels right. It feels right. Okay. Thanks, Riggs. Let's dig into the Munson meter. The way this works, each of us ranks the actor on a scale of 0 to 100 based on a variety of factors. Um, those factors could include longevity, Project choice, pop culture impact, range, awards footprint, any other talents they might have, personal life, comedic chops, box office success or lack thereof, and anything else that matters to us. And we will start this time with Case. You know, Seth Green is a pretty solid performer. And two actually two episodes in a row that I've become a bigger fan about the people we've been studying. However, from a number standpoint, it's really tough for him to stack up against the other performers we've looked at. However, I'm gonna I'm gonna go against my own rules, and I'm gonna I'm gonna weight his pop culture a little bit more than I do other people. The volume of stuff that this guy produces, and most of it's good, is really impressive. I'm glad he's been able to survive a long career being a child actor. Uh, you know, however, again, it's just really I'm having a tough time comparing him to the other performers we've looked at because you know I tend to favor movies, and his movie career doesn't do a ton for me. So with all that being said, I'm going to give him a 62. All right. Warren. That's pretty fair, <laughs> Rigby. Fair score. Very fair. Fair. So that, that's really the kind of the same way that I'm looking at uh, Seth Green. He is in a ton of things that are pop culturally significant. But do you think of him the first time that you, you know, think of whatever show or anything that is like Family Guy? Yeah, he's, he's definitely up there for Family Guy. Unfortunately, Kyle, you didn't even know it was him. So (laughs) that's just kind of a thing. Wild. The robot chicken, like, yes, I know he does everything, but very rarely could you go to a sketch and be like, oh, wait, that one's, that's that's Seth Green's voice. I can hear that there. Like, yeah, it's hard to pick up. He still does all that stuff, but, you know, I, I equate him a lot to, like, in the voice acting stuff, too. That's like Gary Cole and, you know, Keith David as well. And both of them, they were they were very similar in like my range. And while while Seth Green is in like Austin Powers is great, can't hardly wait without a paddle. Like out of all those acting wise, can't hardly wait's probably his most different character because he has to talk differently to portray a character playing a character. Um and they're all funny, but you know, he's not a very talented actor. Um, he's just he's really good at expressing his creative side and doing voices and all that stuff. And you know, that's kind of why I put them all in the same range because they all do a lot of that uh, that voice work and everything. So, you know, while I do think Gary Cole and uh, you know Keith David, they're man. I'm gonna I'm gonna give him a I'm gonna give him a sixty three. 
Uh, it's just uh, just comparison wise to everybody else, uh, sixty three, and you know I don't. We're never going to see him do something uncomfortable. He's he's got his niche that he can yeah. just walk walk into a, a set of a movie and be an uncredited <laughs> person, and then go record you know five episodes while filming filming for an hour of Robot Chicken because they're eleven minutes apiece. <laughs> he's got a, he's got a sweet life he really does yeah the end perfect okay my opinion is very very similar to you guys don't have much to say on him he's he takes a huge hit on range because i don't think he's a very diverse actor from a tool set standpoint but i gotta respect the, the fact he was a child actor and has been consistently busy and he's not like macaulay Culkin, which like rose to stardom burned out and has been trying to rebuild his career Seth Green has been doing good things for most of his career, but he's not going to win any major awards. Um, he tends to play the comic relief, the weird friend, the tech guy, and he's comfortable doing that. Because of that, he'll be he'll find a niche in entertainment as long as he wants to, and it sounds like that's what he loves to do. So, And I love the fact that most of his movies are like 90 minutes or less. So with all that said, I'm going to give him a solid 66. All right, Tony, our guest Munson, what do you got? I really enjoy a lot of his voice work. When it comes to movies, the movies he's in, I enjoy his roles. He's funny, but he's not very diverse. But I know he's actually a very diverse voice actor. Because uh, even with Robot Chicken, he does so many voices in that that you don't recognize his voice, that it almost it has more of a range that way. Mm-hmm. And knowing the fact that he's at a point in his career where he just does what he wants, I think that says something more to like who he is. And about his longevity as well. He didn't actually pull like other child actors where they tried to go become serious. He's like, nah, screw that. I'm I'm me and I'm going to continue being the geek I am. For me, I think he's very pop culturally relevant. But his movies come down quite a bit. They're fun to watch, but only if you're a skeevy stoner. <laughs> <laughs> Which, don't get me wrong, I, I fit that category. But, the you know, majority of us are. <laughs> But it's still one of those things where, you know, you think of movies and you're like, oh, yeah, he's in all these things, but you he's never the strong lead. He's always somebody second. So and because he's a skeevy stoner type, I got to give him a rating of 69. (laughs) (laughs) Respect. Rigby. Uh, Yeah, you guys hit on everything. Range is obviously an issue with him. He's very talented and very funny. And his roles for what it for what they are just kind of a. Either it's uh, an asshole nerd or like a slacker, like that's he nails it. Um, but that's pretty much all it is. He gets points for me for longevity just because he does have a career starting out as a child actor and it's morphed into a, a, a solid film career and obviously a very solid voice uh, career over in Hollywood the last like 30 years. So um, I think there's something cool to be said about that. So I'm going to give him a 67. James, round us out. Wow, we're all pepper in the strike zone here it's pretty <laughs> impressive sometimes we're all over the place this one seems like we're kind of all you know, on the same page yeah he's been a guest star his whole career but he's been good at it you know he's best as a complimentary character he's kind of nerdy funny uh shit talker or a goofball similar to the last child actor we covered i agree with you guys i think his pop culture impact is probably the largest part of his score on my end also when it comes to the Kevin Spacey, Mel Gibson section of my rating. He does really well, uh, which is good. He seems like a good dude, so that's good. The main difference from the last Child Star we cover is that Family Guy is a timeless cartoon that is absolutely hilarious and probably what he'll ultimately be remembered for. 
even if people still don't recognize that that is actually him on the show. Uh, and so I end up giving him a 64. Warren, what do we got for an average? Well, after Pepper in the Strike Zone, Seth Green has a score of a 65.17, which puts him at 27th in between Gary Cole and Regina Hall. So fair. fair. The fairest of scores. I mean, Gary Cole's a lot older, but I feel like they kind of have a similar like filmography, Gary Cole and, and Seth Green. Do you mean being like the side character? Yeah, just like they're in a lot. They're like in one episode of like really famous shows, and like their voice work is out, out, you know, outweighs their film work. Yeah, memorable. Not much range. The only thing about Gary Cole in comparison is he could play a serious character. Yeah, and be and be believable. That's accurate. Got a little bit more range. Yeah, Seth Green was very believable in Entourage. (laughs) (laughs) Too bad it was only three appearances, right? Yeah, but dude, you just wanted to kick the shit out of him the whole fucking time. I mean, I I hear it. He was a dick bag. Tell her I say what's up. Did you tell her I say what up? What'd she say back? (laughs) Can you tell her that I asked you that? (laughs) It's like, I want to kick the shit out of him for you. All right, Warren, what does he got coming soon? He's got more voice stuff in the TV series of Star Wars Detours, and he is voicing Obi-Wan Kenobi, Qui-Gon Jinn, and Cad Bane. There you go. Isn't that being in production since like 2017? Uh, it's 2012. <laughs> <Wow>. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. post production. That's on the horizon. That's a good. That's a good thing to have in your back pocket at all times. <laughs> Always have something coming, so it doesn't look like look like you're stagnant. I guess. If I refresh the page in ten minutes, I'm sure three new things will pop up. That's true. <laughs> you're still pumping out robot chicken, right? Yeah. I guess that's the main thing. All right, five actors we're throwing onto that wheel for next episode. Those five actors are Emily Blunt, Allison Pill, John Leguizamo, Jennifer Lopez, J-Lo, and Alicia Silverstone. What do we like? What do we dislike? Emily Blunt. Emily Blunt and Johnny Legs. Yeah. Actually, J-Lo would be awesome. I would love to look at J-Lo. I thought Hustlers was great. J-Lo would be fun. She's been in some stinkers, that's for sure. Someone gets to watch Geely. Mm-hmm. I would love watching that. Someone gets to watch Out of Sight, which is a great movie. Out of Sight's awesome with J-Lo. Hustlers was all right. Yeah. And Anaconda. Oh, yes, yeah. Anaconda. Yeah. <laughs> Damn, let's watch J-Lo. <laughs> let's just do it anyways. Alicia was in Scooby-Doo 2. Yeah, I think it's going to be Alicia. And all I know is Clueless in that one music video. She was in Bat- <laughs> one of the Batman movies. Yeah, she was. Yep. With Chris, uh, what's his face? Chris that was O'Donnell. Batman and Robin. Chris, yep. Yeah, the one yep. where Batman had nipples. I'm with you, Warren. I would. I think Emily Blunt and John Leguizamo would be the two. I like Allison Pill. I think she's really funny in a lot of her stuff. But I feel like a couple more years might be good before we cover her. Yeah. Why don't you uh, let the paint dry on that a little bit there? <laughs> <laughs> Leguizamo would be a good one, man. He's got a lot of good stuff. I could re-watch, rewatch Chef for sure. And, yeah. uh, Spawn. Yep. Isn't he Luigi in uh, Mario and... Yeah, we don't yes. talk about that. Though. We don't talk yes. about that? Oh, we will if we cover Leguizamo. <laughs> we definitely will. That will be lowest critic score. Tony, who would you pick? Emily Blunt or Alicia Silverstone would okay. be fun. Another vote for Emily Blunt. But I'm also a fan of Emily Blunt. Five-year engagement and uh, Edge of Tomorrow. Devil Wears Prada. Yep. Yeah, just, just watched Edge of Tomorrow the other day. <laughs> well, well, we'll find out. The, the wheel decides, not us. The cast decides. <laughs> That's a good a good transition, Warren, because this is where we do our little guest plug. Uh, Tony was great. 
brother, we appreciate you being with us. Any plugs for the podcast or wise words for our audience that you want to drop? Yeah, you can check out our my podcast. It's called Flix X Raid. We're on all the socials, Twitter, Facebook, all the whole shebang, as well as uh, on all your favorite podcatchers out there. I've found everywhere I could, except for YouTube, because fuck YouTube. <laughs> um, <laughs> what are two of the, like a couple of the most recent episodes you guys have put out? Taxi Driver is the most recent one that came out, and Ooh. we have Baby Driver coming out shortly after that. For some reason, I did two movies about driving in a row. Mm. <laughs> Very similar movies, too. Very similar movies. Dude, Drive Angry after that. It would be we great. Did earlier this year, Drive Angry. Drive Angry is great. <laughs> Drive Angry is something. <laughs> Driving Miss Daisy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we've recently also covered things such as Sausage Party, Next, Rogue One. Uh, we're kind of all over the place uh, where yeah. when it comes to movie picks. So we appreciate you being here, man. It was great. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was awesome. This was a lot of fun. I do love Seth Green. So you got to tell the world that your wife has Seth Green as her uh, text message ring. Yeah, I think that's, that's, really worth it. that's awesome. <laughs> so. We're going to find her number. We're just going to send text after text after text. <laughs> all right. Well, our next episode is going to land on June 17th. Our guest will be a return guest, Mark Yerke was with us previously for the chris tucker episode so it's been a while since yerky was with us self-proclaimed hates fun and funny movies so <laughs> you all can decide based on yerky and his style you know you can take a guess as to which of those five actors he would have picked as always you can find us on twitter munson's at movies you can find us on instagram munson's at the movies you can email us munson's at the movies at gmail.com any final thoughts from our boy seth green that's it that's it no explosions no hellfire no <laughs> I mean, no, I'm glad everybody's all right, but yeah, that was weak. Munson's out. All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we?